This episode is sponsored by EOP Media. EOP Media exists to advance the marketing discipline and move it out of the cycle of reactive and redundant change. That is why we say EOP Media is a new type of marketing agency for the next age of marketing. We will achieve our mission through the process of driving and supporting four big areas, transforming the marketing profession, evolving marketing for the new economy, revolutionizing the startup ecosystem, and enabling individual agency of identity and data. If your organization is wrestling with the same ideas, or if you're interested in learning more about our ideas for the new economy, please get in touch with us at eopmedia.com. Welcome to the Tech Aunties Podcast, where we're bringing you industry context and vision from myself, Angelia McFarland, and Gina Rosenthal. On each podcast, we will share our marketing and technology industry experiences along with the tea. Listen to us as we explain the past so you can have context to understand and create your own version of the future. So let's get into it. So today we are talking about marketers who I believe are the unsung heroes of technology evolution. You ever think about how technologies gain critical mass and everyone understands what they are and decides to buy them and say they're the next great thing? It happens all the time, but what we tend to do is we tend to focus on the technical folks who make those innovations possible. And while they're very, very important and we respect them a whole, whole lot, Those technologies would never be at critical mass without some great marketing professionals behind the scenes helping to position and to promote and to create messaging and to give comments on user interfaces so that people understand them and they know how to use them. And so today, we have a wonderful guest in the studio a longtime friend of both Gina and myself. Uh, We tried to get him in here earlier, and we are so happy to have him. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Um, During his corporate career, Brian Whitaker worked on regional and global marketing for a wide range of alliances, data center technologies, and professional services. He has worked in the United States and Europe, led the marketing execution for a billion-dollar acquisition, and still gets excited by compelling technologies that support business transformation. He's been immersed in technology marketing since 2005 and is currently founder and chief executive officer of Zettabyte Content, an Austin-based content marketing consulting firm with 20-plus years of industry expertise. Zettabyte content helps B2B technology leaders tell their stories in a world that's obsessed with data, consumed by noise, and bored by dull marketing. You can engage Zettabyte content at ZB, 
Let me re- let me go back. Zed at zedbcontent.com. Um, and you can follow Brian on LinkedIn at Brian E. Whitaker. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Angelia. And, you know, from my European experience, I especially appreciate the reference to the Zed. Nice work. <laughs> you know, you're going to confuse everybody. But <laughs> I won't confuse the, techsi- the techies. The techies will get it. You won't. And there will be lots of people in the UK giving you two thumbs up this morning. <laughs> so, Brian, um, I tend to talk a lot on these podcasts, and I don't want to yes, do that does. today. I want, <laughs> I want to hear from you. Um, so I want to start, again, we've worked together for not a long time. We've known each other for a long time. We worked together for about two years. Uh-huh. Um, in that time frame, I realized you and I had similar thoughts on product marketing, which tended to be different than... Uh, product marketing perceptions of other people. Can you start by talking about what your product marketing philosophies are or ha- or, or, or also how they've changed over the years? So when I started in product marketing, which is a little disturbing for me to think was sort of 12 or 13 years ago now, product marketing was seen as a cog in the great machine of bringing a product to market. And it was largely a function of taking inputs from engineering and product management and spitting out outputs, deliverables, you know, web copy or a solution brief or something like that, that others would go run with. What I think has happened with my philosophy of product marketing over the years is that it has become much more collaborative. It functions from a place of humility. Mm. And it relies on a kind of disciplined audacity. Love those terms. So, so That's so, a marketing term right there about product marketing. Come <laughs> but on But you now. cannot <laughs> stop there. You have to go back and you have to talk about humility and audacity, okay. which I absolutely see in, your, in the way that you brand and market yourself. But give us a little bit more about what you mean by that. So on the humility side, I think one of the great gifts a product marketer can have And it's one of the things that I really do try to stay focused on bringing to the table is an understanding that I don't understand. Mm. It's the knowledge that I need to remain continually curious that there are other people in the room that know more about the product than I do, but that what I'm bringing to the table is a breadth of vision that's not just stuck in the features or the functionality, but takes a much broader view of how the product may manifest in the market and solve particular problems and unlock particular opportunities. But again, I have to make sure that I am never coming at situations with clients from a position of certainty. I'm, I'm, I'm always awakened to new possibilities every week, new stuff turns up, whether it's new tactics that other people have come up with or new ideas on how to talk to a particular audience. And so staying humble, staying open, 
is really, really key, and it's been sort of a principle of my growth. The disciplined audacity thing is a really interesting one, and I had not really thought about that idea until last year when I mentored um, a collection of young product marketers. And what I was seeing with them was a tendency that I could remember having when I first started in product marketing, which was kind of an oscillation between sticking their necks out in a very um, impulsive way and then getting stopped from doing that Mm -hmm. and then responding with being timid. And they were kind of oscillating between the two. And so what I started coaching them to do was to be a little bit more subtle about their audacity, not just, you know, going 100 miles an hour. Instead, maybe let's go 50 instead of 30. But doing that in a disciplined way, trying to be conscious about showing up to that every week making it more consistent, making it a little bit more predictable. Because the oscillation between timidity and going out on a limb um, was not only bad for their mental health, but it was also bad for the organization's mental health. People didn't know what to expect. I, I find that, in my experience, depending on the management structure, timidity becomes in many marketing departments, the default. I've, I've worked with some brilliant marketers who will put their ideas out there. Um, and to your point, they'll get beat back. Um, and, and it's not like they put them out there on every project. They get beat back a couple of times and they're like, forget this. I'm, I, you know, what do you, what color do you want it? I don't care what color it is anymore. Right. Um, what are your, you 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 gave your advice i believe to to people who are in that predicament right this this uh disciplined audacity um do you see it as a problem as you move through these organizations in other marketing departments and do you think as marketers outside of what we can do individually person to person, is there something that we could do or should be doing to address uh, that particular issue? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I do think in an ideal world, it's incumbent upon marketing leadership to support the audacity of their employees. There is in any collaborative process a tendency which you could call regression to the mean, right? You know, if you think about the bell curve, the vast majority of ideas, the comfort zone is in the center of the bell curve, right? Right. That's where most of the stuff goes. And so if you're an outlier, if you're on one of the bell curve or the other, as you work your way through a collaborative process with lots of inputs from lots of people, there's a tendency to go back toward the middle. And so I really do think that more marketing leaders would be well-advised to keep that problem in mind and say to their teams, look, I'm looking for big ideas. I'm looking for more extreme ideas. I'm looking to stick our necks out and I will defend those choices for the rest of the organization. If you're having problems 
with other people that want to drag you back to the middle, come to me. Yeah. Let me help fight that fight. Now, I don't think that many organizations have marketing leaders who feel like they have the security of position necessary to do that work. Especially not now. I mean, we're in going yes. into a recession and it's always sales. I, you know, in my experience, because I'm definitely an outlier, I never fit into the middle and I never will. I'm proud of myself for that. Right. Uh -huh. So, um, but I think as we go into a recession, the sales leaders are going to demand more and more things to happen. We're in the middle of a giant change, even for marketing, the technical, the technical changes that are happening are definitely affecting and will continue to affect marketing. So you're putting in, putting everybody in this kind of precarious situation. How do you, how with all the changes where something you need to have bold and maybe not just bold, but maybe thinking about past things and bringing them up and doing them better. How do you, you know, encourage, especially people new to the field that have all the energy to stick their necks out a little more when everybody else is like, I just want to keep my job, man. Let's keep everybody happy. We know it's not going to work, but they ask for it. We'll give them exactly that and we'll all keep our jobs. So, Yes. Whether or not we're in a B2B recession right now, there are lots of people who think we are. There are other people who think we aren't. Um, I do see an increased amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt among marketers. Absolutely. And a tendency to regress to the safe. And I just had this conversation with a founder of a stealth startup, and obviously I can't name names or anything, but um, we were having a conversation about what they're going to do, what their product is going to be, what their service is going to be. And he said, and I, and I apologize for, you know, a slight profanity here, but I'm just quoting verbatim. He said, we're going to overclock the <laughs> out of it, <laughs> which I said should be the tagline of your marketing. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, 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 we can't possibly do that. And I was like, no, 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 you really sh can and should, because in a sea of similar solutions, that's your one opportunity to authentically stand out in the market. This is the kind of thing that you're saying in rooms with prospects. I, I, you know, I, because I love to get off on tangents. And so as you were talking, I was trying to bring us back to the title. And I feel like you did it just there is you're talking to someone who is technical. I would, I, I would assume. Yes, yeah, very much so. And, uh, and they gave you, they gave you their perspective on what they were going to do. And you immediately came back and you said, look, this is what separates you from the rest of the, the field. Now, now, if he chooses to take that advice and becomes very, very successful, um, the fact that you pointed him in that direction when he didn't think that was the right direction, a, a lot of times as marketers, whether it depends on whether you want recognition or money, and I think, but I, I do think in the industry today, we don't get our fair share of either for the contributions that we make to technology innovations. Do you, as a business owner, I think you have a bit more control over that. Do you agree, disagree? Do you, do you have a different perspective? I do think in B2B 
technology companies, which is where all of my expertise is. I can't talk to consumer or anything else. I do think that marketing has a tendency to be seen as a not quite as essential as engineering or sales kind of function, right? There's an old joke in the space, which is, you know, if the organization has a very successful quarter, then sales executed brilliantly and brought in all the business and everything was fantastic. And if the organization misses its number, then marketing's on the line to go <laughs> fix that, right? Absolutely. You know, and I'm sh- Always. And I... Coming from a position of humility, I can, and having been a salesperson, and actually I still am a salesperson for my own business, I see both sides of the argument, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I do think that there is a tendency for organizations to give credit to folks other than marketers. I, I was just talking to Gina earlier this week, and one of her clients fired the whole marketing department. Yes, I've heard that is happening more and more often right now. It's insane. <laughs> it's yes. really insane. And I actually just had a conversation with an ex-Gartner analyst uh, day before yesterday about this. And he, I think I'm quoting him directly. He said, quite a few of his customers have given up on marketing for 2023. And it's June. And is that, so I think I know, I, I, I mean, I think this falls right into what we're talking about. I think there is a lack of understanding of the value. And I think, I'll be honest with you, Brian, I think some of it has to do with some of the humility. Um, because I absolutely understand what you're saying. We have to walk into rooms and we have to we have to leave space for everyone. Not because we leave space for everyone because, you know, socially that's what we should do. But that's where the best ideas come from, right? right? Um, but because we're the ones leaving space for everyone, I don't I think that they miss the contributions that we bring. Well, and that tendency too to revert back to the safe when you're a marketer gives you a um reputation yes of being middle of the road of being middling, right? And so that not having the disciplined audacity present in your engagements, it it, it is striking that balance between humility and audacity that I think really matters in establishing the value of marketing. You know, the other problem that I think is going on right now is that um, my observation, and this is anecdotal, you know, it's based on lots of conversations with people and, you know, talking with clients. Um, A lot of the old truths of what works in marketing um, are no longer truths. Exactly. They're being kind of swept away by some kind of tide of change in the marketplace that I don't think we completely understand. Digital transformation. Digital transformation, but I think it's... Like, literally, we can say that and not make fun of it. It's, like, literally happening. It's upon us, and it's changing the way everybody does their communications. But I think we're also seeing a generational change. I think we're seeing um, baby boomers moving out of positions of decision-making and being replaced by Gen Xers and millennials who have a very different mindset about how they want to come to decisions about procuring a product or service. And so a lot of the tactics that we marketers have used 
to drive awareness, consideration, and conversion, no longer work with these younger audiences who have been exposed to constant marketing since childhood, um, constant digital marketing since childhood. Absolutely. And have a very different set of filters and a very different set of priorities on the kinds of content they want to consume, when they want to consume it, how they want to find out about it. And where and, they want to consume it. Yes, exactly. And so B2B marketing, I think, is just going through this shift that's probably equivalent to the shift when um, the internet came out. And, you know, from 1997 to 2002, every brand mm -hmm. had to figure out how to do some kind of digital marketing. And there were brands that did it really well and there were brands that did it terribly. And the ones that did it terribly went by the wayside. I think we're probably in a five-year transition time um, of a similar level of impact. And so that is interfering with marketing's credibility in the organization because marketing says do X, Y, and Z and X, Y, and Z is not working anymore. It really never worked before. They were, it was, it's like, I know when I came to be in product marketing was coming out of community because community got subsumed by digital marketing, which made it worthless. Um, community, and you mean like social? building social communities, right? And so, when it was consumed by digital marketing, it made it worthless because one of the problems of being this middle of the world with, I think, with marketing, digital marketing in particular, is you have to prove why you're spending so much money. And when you prove, and when you, that focus is on proving and covering your butt instead of being bold and, and out there for the, and doing the right things by the product and the company, you do come across as, as kind of stale and boring. So I, when I came into product marketing, I think I've said it on, on our show before, like I thought, because I'm, I'm the technical one sitting here. I know you're technical too, but you know, I'm the techie coming up from jobs, technical jobs. And I just wanted to bring reality to marketing. That's where, oh. how I saw marketing too. And I think there's very few people that do the product side of product marketing. So we have digital marketing, which is getting it out there and getting the word out there and figuring out how SEO and all the rest of it. But what does this product do? Where should, who's the audience? Who's going to actually use it? Who's going to buy it? And where do they, where are they where we can get the right message to them? And that's what product marketers do. I think in that one case of that prospective client, uh, that's what happened is they, they decided to swap up because they realized what they had was different than what they were marketing and the audience were selling to. They wanted to swap it up. So they got rid of everybody that was pointed this way. Now they're going to try to find the people pointed this way, or they're going to do this product led growth, which some people think is just let them try the product and they'll get it. And that. it'll be, it'll be amazing and it's going to work. And so it's, but it's, it's a reaction to this middle of the road. Meh, we're doing this to be safe and keep our jobs and we're, and to get the numbers to protect our jobs. It's a reaction from the product teams to that. Like our product's good enough. We can, we can put some things in the product. We can make this product led growth and we'll get all the subscribers we need. You said a whole bunch of stuff. Thank you. Um, I, I wait till you stop talking and get mine all well, at once. No, I mean, well, but it's cause it's so hard to unpack because you said so much. I because I, I'm I don't know where to start. But um, I do want to start. I think the first thing that Gina said was um, the product. There's few people doing the product. There's not a lot of focus on the product piece. Mm -hmm. You said that, and the other thing you said that I want to hit is reactionary. 
Um, I believe that our industry, uh, and all of us are product marketers on the mics today. Um, I believe that the that the product marketing industry um, is not well understood inside corporations, which is probably why the three of us are doing our own, doing our own things right now. Um, and I also think it is very reactionary. And it has become what it's become because we've been reacting either to other companies who are doing things or to your point earlier, Brian, uh, the Internet's out there. We all got to figure out the Internet. Um, what are, give, give, me, give me your thoughts on the, the discipline of product marketing. It's something I'm, I'm personally very interested in and working on a service for that. Um, and then the, th- the thought about how reactionary we are. So those are both really good observations. Um, so on the first, what I see when I work with clients when it comes to product marketing are broadly speaking two conditions. They either don't have it or they have it, but it's very under-resourced. Yeah. Those seem to be the you, two. You haven't had any clients where, in your opinion, they've gotten it right. No, I mean, I, be, I believe you. I just want to. I just wanted to reiterate. No, and I'm <laughs> even talking about Fortune 100 companies. Look, okay, I, I have not seen anybody who has a mature, a truly mature, truly disciplined product marketing function. There is simply, at least, at least since COVID been too much organizational churn Mm. to allow product marketing to settle out and become stable and mature. You know, I, I know of a particular product marketing organization that, um, should have 32 full-time employees and they've got 16. And so, wow. And so to lots of business for you. Well, yes, yes. Um, which I'm not exactly mad about. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, um, it's firefighting mode. It is 100% reactionary. And so these poor people um, get acutely used up. Yeah. They, they are constantly getting things to 70 or 80% and then pushing them out the door, shipping them because they don't have any choice. They don't have enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. They're never given enough time or space to become really good at anything. They're constantly pulled in too many directions all the time. Um, They're blocking and tackling on stuff that they probably shouldn't be blocking, tackling on, but there's a tendency to sort of just give it to the product marketer, you know? Yeah. I remember those days. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I, I, I see a lot of people, running on fumes. I see a lot of people burning out. I see a lot of people leaving. And I see a lot of organizations who don't value product marketing because to be fair to them, product marketing is not delivering all of the value that product marketing could deliver or should deliver. It's, it's running on 50%. It's under-resourced. You know, at the end of the day, product marketing should be deeply in touch with the market should be a deeply in touch with customers and prospects and analysts and what's going on in the world. And, um, I see a lot of product marketers that struggle to do that work because they are so consumed with fighting fires internally and pushing out 
deliverables and sitting in meetings. Meetings. You know, <laughs> I talked with one yesterday who hasn't had a customer conversation in nine months. And yeah, that's the death of a product marketer. The death of yep. a product marketer. I mean, you know, customer contact is lifeblood. And these poor people are just being cut off from their lifeblood. That's what it comes down to. I want to, I want to do, I did a little fun exercise that I wanted to take you through mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to lighten up the, the podcast a little. <laughs> so uh, episodes are always depressing. <laughs> that's what I tell her. <laughs> I am going to name several well-known technology brands. And I would love to get your perspective on the tipping point in their success. And it is, and the question is, was it, do you believe it was the technology? I I think the answer all the time is both, right? Because bad technologies don't make great products. Um, Or at least for long term, they don't make great products. But but when you answer, can you say, can you let me know if you think that the marketing is what was the tipping point or was it the technology? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna give them to you in order. So Brian already knows which companies I'm going to 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 yell out, but I'm not gonna give them to him. Do them. I get to play two? You do. What you are you going to give him one that's not on the list? Ooh. No, I wanted to tricky. play with Brian. <laughs> I might could give him a one on the list too. Let me think about it, and I'll give one not on the list. I actually have one. So. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with the one that I think is is a consumer brand. It, not think. I know it's a consumer brand um, because most of the other ones I gave you were B two B brands, and that is is EA Electronic Arts. That's a great one. You know, I have to say, product. Really, I do. T- tell me why. <clears throat> I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> to remember the Atari? Yeah. To remember the Atari and You are telling your age, I Brian. Am. Most of our listeners don't they have to go to the pawn shop. Not not even the pawn shop. They have to go to a museum to get one of those. Well, you know, <laughs> literally just, you know, the other day I just turned fifty and my wife organized a big birthday party at this place Happy called Cidercade, which is um down on Riverside in Austin, facing the facing the lake. And it's basically pizza and arcade games. Oh, wow. And lots and lots of old 1980s arcade games. And I found out that my skills are still intact, which is helpful to know. You know <laughs> Muscle stuff memory. Stuff I haven't touched in 30 years. A-A-B-B. You know? Exactly. <laughs> but I remember the EA games from when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. And the reality is, is that if the game had not been up to snuff, that brand never would have taken off the way it did. Do you, do you not think it was... It was the Madden partnership that that I I I thought you were going to say technology because of the Madden partnership. I mean, I'm sorry, marketing because of the Madden partnership. See, I'm biased because I'm not a sports guy. Okay. And so for me, that partnership didn't have a whole lot of meaning. What it had a lot of meaning for me was the gameplay. Okay. The gameplay did, to your point, they were one of the first ones um, in to to deliver some really strong 3D. Some strong 3D games. Yes. I would almost say, that. well, I'm not sure how how we would define community. There's a huge community piece to them continuing to be so popular because if um, that's how you know the game is good. That's yeah. how you get the cheats for the game so you can get past the really hard part when it's too hard. Well, and you're not wrong. And, you know, when I was playing those games, the community was local and tiny. Yeah. Right. True. 
you know, it was it, it, some guys in a room basically. That whole community piece has taken off over the past twenty five years, and you're 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 not wrong. Yeah. I mean, to the point that you had your fiftieth birthday at a place that had the games that you love. You're so, right. You that's know. right. And they so that's obviously a a marketing. They they knew they their target market. You know, and and, and community to, though too was both because community was local because we didn't have technology for the community to be um, global. Yes, and the community is now global and larger, mm-hmm. but. There's, you know, anybody can have a global, large community if they knew how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So I think to me, I feel like that one is also a technology and a marketing um, tipping point as well. So I'm going to give you a softball one next. Unless you do you want to give Brian yours? You yeah. had one. She, ha- she has one not on the list, Brian. She's going to challenge you. NVIDIA. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, that's a funny one. Um, <laughs> For a lot of reasons that I don't have time to get into on this podcast. Um, (laughs) He's thinking. I am thinking. I think you're thinking because you're trying to define what – because I think you're thinking about what – where is marketing start and where does marketing end? Well, that's the challenge, right? I was about to say that the the technology is the marketing. And what I mean by that... That's a good, that's a good answer. Yeah. I, I think that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that's a good answer. Go ahead, Brian. My observation with NVIDIA, <laughs> and I just talked with an NVIDIA leader a month or so ago, um, is that they made a conscious decision a few years ago to for lack of a better phrase, be more audacious. And they injected that into their roadmaps. And they started doing really interesting things. Um, And I'll just give you a really straightforward example. Um, A few years ago, there were a couple of startups that came out with um, a new category of silicon called uh, the data processing unit, the DPU, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea was is that it would become an offload for lots and lots of functions that are better run on specialized silicon than on the x86 CPU, right? And um, it was a great idea. And and these couple of startups, I was consulting for one of them, um, got lots and lots of funding. You know, SoftBank Vision funds, writing big checks, and you know, there's there's lots of lots of enthusiasm around this idea. And Nvidia made a conscious decision to throw a ton of money secretly at launching their own. Mm-hmm. And they suddenly blew up the market just like that. And as I said, I was consulting for one of these companies and they just like saw their entire market begin to disappear. Um, NVIDIA has taken a track record of deliberately launching to disrupt. Yes. Over and over and over again. So is that technology or is that marketing? Well, see, that's the challenge, right? It, it, it 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 is both because at the end of the day, if the products don't work, then the marketing's useless. You can market it all day long, but if the products are not are, are not providing functionality, then you're not getting anywhere. So Nvidia is creating good products, um, but I do think, to your point, their deliberate strategy to go disrupt the market is a marketing decision. 
Yeah, I agree with the marketing part just from being, um, let's see how high up, because I don't know if all this is out in the open yet. It's been years since I've been at this vendor. Being at a vendor and wanting to use different use cases about the GPUs because they worked. Yes. And our product had been, we had tested it. We had done all sorts of, you know, very big um, speed tests on it as well. It worked. And so anytime we would, um, we would be at shows and we were doing things together with NVIDIA, they did not want us to talk about it. They did not, they were, because they were not ready to, they had another thing that was coming to market yes. that was counter to everybody else. And they wanted to put it out that way. And of course, where I was, we were Switzerland. We wanted to help everybody. Yes. We wanted to work with everybody. So it was a little bit of a conflict of interest, but they were, that product marketing team was hard to work with because they were locked in to the plan and they were had their eyes on it. So for me, I think it's it's absolutely a marketing thing. And it's more product marketing because it's not even wanting to tip your hand or give any space to any kind of alternative. We're just yes. straight on for it. You know, I I can't get into a lot of details about this, but um I can say that NVIDIA has a discipline across all functions of making each group very aggressively focused on disruption. Yeah. And they even support it from like a internal digital infrastructure standpoint. Each group gets to have different hard, internal hardware, software, services, whatever, as long as they can justify that's what they need to go be audacious and go make a difference in the market. Mm. Um, they're They're really smart about it. And... They're a, they're a great company, and I kind of, like, enjoy seeing them getting out there and, you know, making a splash over and over again. Well, it's not fun on the other side, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I just, I have to agree with, with Gina that I think it is marketing. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think the technology follows, in those instances, the technology is following the marketing decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact that everyone has, gets to pick their own hardware, um, most people would say, oh, that's an operations decision. But that's really a marketing decision, right? We're trying to drive a specific culture inside and also outside with our customers. And so that marketing decision is informing operations. You give each team whatever it is they want. Um, Even the naming of their products. I mean, come on. Why do we call it GPU versus DPU? Right. And there's a specific reason because they wanted to be different. They're just selling the same. Um, they're all almost. selling the same thing. How do you differentiate this piece of hardware? And that's one it's of the a, ones they the did. Soft, it. The software is the only thing different on the two, right? They, they now their their stuff is really good. So I don't want to say that. It's just other people have really good stuff too. <laughs> so that was that one went longer than I thought. So I think we have time for one more. Um. And I'm going to pick the one that I think is in trouble right now, and, and that's Netflix. Mm-hmm. Marketing or technology or both? Well, originally marketing, you know. Because originally it was just the CDs. Yeah, DVDs in the mail, I'm right? So, yeah, sorry, DVDs, yes. And to be fair to them, they then conceptualized an alternative product, streaming. They and created they created a streaming industry for yeah, they, they were the first they, one. They really defined that space. Yeah. And 
So you, you have to give them credit for not only creating a massive multi-billion dollar direct-to-consumer DVD business, but then pivoting and creating a whole new product category and executing brilliantly on it. So for me, they started with marketing and then segued to product. But but product is marketing. Sure, sure. I would say product is marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. You don't think product is marketing? No, I think product is technology, but to bring it to life, you have product marketing. I don't know. I think product is, I think you don't have marketing without product. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I don't, <laughs> well, okay. I think you're thinking in terms of roles. No. Product managers no. manage product. No. I'm not thinking in terms of Yeah, I, you don't have you don't have product without marketing. I can have a product that nobody knows about without marketing. Well, that's cer- well, certainly true and there are thousands of those. I mean, <laughs> you I, you could pick up something. I can pick up my my glasses and I can say my glasses are a product. But yeah. if I create a product, that's marketing. And so they created a product. You mean a service? Well, they created a service, a service product, <laughs> but they created it. You're confusing me. <laughs> well, my point is, is that when you create a product, that's a marketing function, and then and and then you you can then promote it. There's a promotion piece to that. So, well, we will agree to disagree on that one. Fair enough. But um, good thing we're out of I, time. <laughs> I want to. Give you a few minutes, Brian, to tell people what advice you would give to your younger self. And then as a dad, what advice would you give to your to a to one of your children who is following in your footsteps? Mm. The advice I would give to my younger self is get into product marketing faster. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I. I was in technology sales for a few years, and then I was in field marketing, and then I was in alliances marketing. And in line with some of the other things that we've said about product marketing earlier in this podcast, um, where I worked, product marketing was this kind of um, shadowy organization that people (laughs) talked about in hushed tones that lived in a building nobody went to. Mm -hmm. And... um, I I went over there largely as a refuge during the 2008 recessions. I found a role in product marketing and said, oh, wow, this looks like a safe organization compared with a lot of the other organizations and the organization I was in at the time. And so I made the jump over to product marketing as kind of a tactical, let's make sure I've got a job. I've got, you know, a baby on the way. Um, (laughs) And it proved to be like the perfect home and I'm still doing it now. Um, if I had known that it existed, <laughs> I would have made the jump sooner. It, it, and to your, um, it, it may not have existed when you started. Product marketing is not that old as a discipline. Yeah, that's a good question. Good observation. Um, it may not, I mean, you know, there's this thing called product group and that's where the product marketers lived. But to external observers, it looked like engineering, basically. Right. Like platform right. engineering. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so giving advice to younger folks. Um, you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter, so I'm, I'm 
now that like the purveyor of advice. But she's so. not following. Is she she's not following your footsteps though, is she? She's very artistic and she has enthusiasm about graphic design. So maybe we may okay. see, right? Okay. We'll see what you know how this how this plays out over the next ten years. Um, my observation is that the young people that are succeeding in organizations today are willing to jump in feet first and start swimming with limited supporter structure. As I said before, a lot of these product marketing organizations are understaffed, under-resourced. And so folks are being called on to do lots and lots of different things without a lot of um, training. Yes. And so being able to manage their own feelings of uncertainty and being willing to take some calculated risks, I think is distinguishing the successful people from the unsuccessful ones. Okay. Nice. Great advice. So Brian, I just want to, I want to finish by highlighting a lot, what I took from this. One is your marketing philosophy of humility and disciplined audacity. Um, I think I'm, I, I want to promote the podcast based on those. I think that was, that was great. And then I want to let people, I want to remind people how to find Brian. Um, Brian's a very accomplished business owner, uh, and he has created content for many brands that you have probably, you either have in your home um, or you will have in your home one day. Um, or because he's B two B, there there are there are well you you've done you have done a little bit of B two C right? Yes, I did some consumer work last year. Yeah. Um. So, but brands that you know, brands that you've heard of, um, and he can be found if you're looking for someone to help you with your content. He can be found at Zettabyte Content Z B Content Z B Content dot com. Um, or you can find him on LinkedIn at Brian E. Whitaker. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us today. Angelia and Gina, it's always a pleasure to hang out. <laughs> nice to see Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care now. Thank you for joining us today on the Tech Aunties podcast. If you have a topic you would like us to cover, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find this episode and others at techaunties.com. Until next time, y'all be sweet. <laughs>